You're listening to the Oracle Podcast, where your story matters. Welcome back to another year with the Oracle Podcast. I'm just excited for this year that's coming up. We've spent the past uh, two months just pretty much organizing a bunch of episodes, getting a bunch of interviews done, getting it all the way so that the episodes can come out with a flow and consistently. And I'm really excited. More interviews to be done as well. Um, Just so excited for another year to do the Oracle podcast. I just want to give a big, big, big uh, shout out. If anyone's ever interested in getting one of the Stay Blessed hoodies that support the Oracle podcast, uh, I'll put the link in the bio for this episode. Um, you can check out our, our Instagram or the Facebook just for any link. It's always open now. Um, we've sold 76 pieces of shirts, long sleeves, and hoodies. And just so blessed um, just to have all extra finances just to support the podcast with advertising, buying better um, equipment for all of this. And so just really, really thankful for all the support and uh, people being willing just to spread uh, the word through uh, clothing, having more faith-based merchandise and clothing. Um, big inspiration is Jesus Loves You and Alex Wilson through his Amen hoodies. So big shout out to them. Check them out on their social media. And if you're interested in getting gear that supports them as well. I got to give a huge shout out to Peter Chan. Go on Instagram, type down Guima underscore beats, G-U-I-M-A underscore beats. He did the intro that you heard just at the beginning. That is going to be the new intro for this season of the Oracle Podcast. And I'm just honored that he took time just to make a beat for this pod. And uh, he's just so fire. That's all I can say. If you like that, go check out his page. You're going to hear more of it. This episode was huge. A big interview for me because uh, who you're going to be hearing from is a man named Jeremy Myers who runs the podcast called One Verse Podcast. Now, I'll be putting the link in the bio. um, But what I love so much about it, it's a podcast I've been listening to that strengthened my spiritual walk. And something I've just been learning so much from about the Old Testament specifically, just reading through the Bible. And so hearing him and talking to him, I was fanboying majorly because it's like weird when you get to hear somebody's voice through a podcast and you can't talk back and then actually have the opportunity to talk back to him. And so that was just really cool. I hope you guys really like his story and he's going to share a little bit about his podcast and share about his life. So it's always nice just to hear the story behind people who especially talk on the mic and just are sharing so much about the Bible to us. If you like the podcast, if you like the Oracle podcast and you want to support in another way, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any way that you listen to it on. The more reviews and ratings that are on it, uh, give it more attention so people can find it more naturally and it'll show up more on people's platforms. So the more you do that, the more publicity the podcast can get. Really excited for this year. Thank you guys so much for the support for the last year. And uh, I hope you guys continue to stay blessed. Love you all. Sure. Fantastic. My name is Jeremy Myers, and I am currently living in Oregon of the United States. I've lived all over the United States, though. Last 20 years, I've moved about 17 times. So I've lived in all corners of the United States. Right now, my full-time job, as I'm a chaplain in one of the federal prisons of the United States, so I work with inmates there in the federal prison. That's my full-time job. It's what pays the bills. On the side, I am an author and podcaster, Bible teacher, and so on. 
And a lot of my writings and, and books and even podcast links can be found at redeeminggod.com. And I've been writing there, teaching there for, it's probably been about mm, 12, 15 years, something like that now. So uh, I'm married and I have three teenage daughters, uh, which lots of people say, oh, teenage daughters. <laughs> it's fun. They treat me like a king in this house. And uh, we have a lot of fun together. So uh, that's a little bit about me. Um, and was that enough? Yeah, that's oh, that's more than enough. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Um, again, Jeremy, thank you so much. I've come across you. I'll give a big shout out to Kyle and Janelle K, uh, two two of my close friends out here in British Columbia, who introduced me to your podcast. Um, especially um, when I've been just on, on a huge journey, just trying to understand uh, the Bible, especially as a pastor, um, how to share. Uh, the Bible to people and how to, you know, break down the Bible, especially in my devotional life. And uh, they introduced me to this podcast called the One Verse One Verse Podcast, and it's your podcast. And I've loved it. And it's been such a huge blessing for me. Um, so, Jeremy, could we just hear a little bit about that? Like, what is the One Verse Podcast? Right. No, thanks for listening to it, Ben, and for your friends who recommended it to you. That's so wonderful when word of mouth, sort of people spread it around that way. So, And I'll be mentioning yours on my Facebook group and other places, people to subscribe to it, because I subscribed to it this week when you reached out to me, and I've already benefited from it and enjoy it as I drive around. So the One Verse podcast, uh, as a pastor myself, and then even as a chaplain now, and also through my, my blog, uh, I've always enjoyed diving deep into smaller sections of Scripture. Lots of times when you hear pastors and preachers, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with this, but they they tend to take large passages of Scripture, chapters, or whole books at a time, and that's fine. Or maybe even approach the Bible teaching it topically. They might you know teach a topic on love or faith or whatever, or marriage. Uh, and that's, again, fine. But my preference, what I've always enjoyed listening to, and also what I've enjoyed doing, is diving deep into smaller sections of Scripture to, to get as much out of them as I can. And so I decided to do, this was about three years ago, this one-verse podcast. And I would, was going to focus on teaching one verse at a time. And I thought initially I would be able to do this in about five minutes per episode. <laughs> and then uh, I was going to try to do one episode per day. I said, five minutes, how long can, you know, just record one, explain a verse quickly in five minutes. And uh, so if you listen to episode zero, zero, which is sort of the introduction of the podcast, that's what I set out to do. Uh, episode one, I think, was like 45 minutes long. <laughs> so I started off in Genesis and I... I um, got through you know Genesis 1 1 and then Genesis 1 2 and so on and I never ever ever did get anywhere near five minutes an episode uh, I try to stick to about 20 25 minutes or so that's tends to be my um, the episode length but some do tend to be a little bit longer than that up to 45 minutes or so but uh yeah and so I, I try to dive deep and explain the scripture uh, one verse at a time if we didn't get all the way through Genesis I got through the end of chapter four. And then we moved over to the book of Jonah. I do try to uh, teach through sections of scripture, though, one verse at a time. Uh, and so right now, though, I just finished up a series on uh, the armor of God out of Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to transition to something a little more topical. We'll still be primarily looking at one or two verses per episode, uh, but I will be doing sort of topics rather than uh, passages of Scripture. And that's just because I'm working on another project 
And it's just hard. You know, as a pastor and a podcaster mm-hmm. and writer, you just only have so much time. Yeah. And so I need to make better use of my time. I've been scattered all over the place. So I've got this book project I've been working on for several years now, and I really got to get it done. So I'm going to sort of double up, work on the book and teach it through the podcast at the same time, uh, the passages I study for the book. So anyway, uh, that's where we're headed. And probably my next episode on that will go out next week. Wow. Awesome. Um, I have a question a little bit about that, because about your podcast, uh, because um, I, I, what I love about it is how it just brings us closer to understanding the word. Um, we're told Bible stories our whole entire life. Um, if you're a Christian, if you're going to a church context, um, you hear Bible stories. Sometimes they sound crazy for us. Sometimes they sound, we try and normalize it for us. But we hear these Bible stories. But um, there comes a point in our life where we have to try and check, like, what is it really about? Um, you have a po- podcast that's based purely on the Bible. Um, while like, you know, using sources to help us understand what we read, um, what keeps you motivated to see the validity in the Bible today when there's so many things that tell you like the Bible might be just a normal book? Oh, for sure. And, and, and uh, people do say that about the Bible, that it has nothing to say to us today. It's an old book, an ancient book, whatever, but it's the stories and the truths in the Bible, especially the stories. I like to focus on the stories that are found in the Bible. That's one of the things I like about your podcast is you are focusing on the stories, but the Bible contains some of the greatest stories in history. And if we can understand these stories, the way the original audience would have understood them, like for example, in Genesis one, it's sort of a story of creation that uh, I believe Moses wrote this to, and he was uh, telling it to the Hebrew people, the Israelites, as they were coming out of slavery to Egypt in Egypt, and so he's telling them this story about creation as a way of introducing them to God. And so when we study this ourselves today, we can, we have these connections, these parallels, because we, you know, this might be thousands of years later, but we today have a lot of the same questions and the same issues, and even sometimes the same doubts that the Hebrew people might have had when they were coming out of slavery in Egypt. What is God like? What does he expect of us? How is he different than the gods of these surrounding cultures and religions that they worship? How are we supposed to worship him? All these sorts of questions, and we have those same things today. And so when we understand Scripture uh, in sort of the cultural, historical contexts from, you know, thousands of years ago, we see that it speaks to us and it speaks to our heart and our questions and our minds. And it guides us and inspires us today, just like it did to the original audience thousands of years ago. Mm. Uh, And so that's what keeps me going studying scripture, because this is not a dead book from the past. This is a living book, uh, which is still alive and breathing today uh, as the very words of God to, to, you know, to our hearts and minds today. Wow. Wow. Um, that's like a, whoever's listening to this right now, um, that's like a sample of what you get from uh, the One Verse podcast. And the guy <laughs> stuff gets me excited. I love it. Yeah, I, I do love get, it. That's I do why get I going and get it. passionate about it. That's true. Yeah. No, I like I like that. I just, we just got kind of like a, a little plug of it. And so uh, I'll put a link uh, for your podcast in the bio for this. So if I was listening, I want you guys to please check out uh, Jeremy's podcast, the One Verse podcast. Um, but now, Jeremy, let, let, let's know who you are and what you've gone through, because I know um, you're a pastor, you're a chaplain now, um, and from what I know, just like any profession and just like any calling in life, uh, when we follow a calling, that's not an easy thing. 
Um, it's not just a simple thing. So um, how did you become a Christian or um, where did you start knowing about Jesus yourself? Sure. My uh, father was a pastor, so I grew up in a Christian family, went to a Christian school, K-12, was very active in the church youth group. And so I, I became a Christian at a very young age, probably around, I don't remember the exact age, it was around five or six, I'm sure, but I do remember uh, my dad was an assistant pastor, and so he didn't get too many opportunities to preach. Usually that was the senior pastor in the church we were at. But uh, occasionally when the senior pastor's on vacation, you know how it is in a typical church, they ask the assistant pastor or one of the others to preach. And so he got to preach that day, and I was proud of him. He preached about Jesus and the cross, and I remember him talking about eternal life and all of that. So after the sermon that day, in the afternoon, I asked him a little bit more about it, and I had the privilege of being... Uh, you know, led to Jesus or or being shown about eternal life, told about eternal life by my father after a sermon he preached. And so that's a very vivid memory in my mind. And um, and so after that, uh, you know, I started even at a young age, I always had interest in reading scripture and, and books about theology. C.S. Lewis has always been one of my favorite authors. And I remember reading Mere Christianity when I was about 10 or 11. And and just a lot of these other books. For Christmas every year, uh, my parents would buy me stacks of theology books and Bible study mm. books, so it's just what I've always enjoyed doing. Uh, in high school, I, I decided that I wanted to go into mechanical engineering, though I was good at tinkering with machines and things and taking them apart and not always putting them back together, <laughs> but at least I could take them apart. And um, <laughs> so uh, I decided to go into mechanical engineering, but uh, in my first year of mechanical engineering, a really good friend of mine died uh, in a sort of a, a crazy hiking accident, and uh, it sort of sort of made me think about things a little bit differently. And I decided to go into the ministry, into full time professional ministry instead. So I went to Bible college, and then uh, got married there. Met my wife there at college, Bible college, and we got married. And um, we moved to, well, I, immediately after that, I went to seminary, but I didn't finish. I only took one year, and I got a little tired of seminary. Um, I felt like a sponge that had soaked up all the water it could, and I needed to be squeezed a little bit. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so I dropped out of seminary after one year and became a pastor up in Montana. And we were there for about five years uh, before I decided, you know what, I, I, I've been squeezed quite a bit. It was a big struggle there, very small church up in Montana, in rural Montana, and I faced lots of new pastor struggles, and I was young at the time, early 20s as a pastor of a church, and so I got squeezed quite a bit and uh, decided, you know what, now I need to go back to seminary, so we did. We moved down to Texas and went back to seminary, and I finished there. At Texas, while I was in seminary, lots of things changed for me a lot. I started questioning a few things about my beliefs and my background and even about Christianity to some degree. I was working for a Christian nonprofit organization down there. It's also around that time where I started uh, an earlier version of my blog, which I won't get into. It's not the one I have now. Uh, and... <laughs> I wrote a post, it's a fateful post, uh, on my blog uh, called, uh, the title of the, the, the blog post was The Heretic in Me. I imagine if people searched on Google, they could still look it up. Uh, the Heretic in Me, Jeremy Myers, you'll find it. And in the blog post, I, I wrote about seven areas of theology and doctrine that I was questioning. 
that I was, mm. it's not that I had stopped believing them or doubted them or anything like that, but I was just, I had read some books and, and things in seminary that were making me think, you know what, I'm not sure that the way I've always taught about this or believed about this is exactly the way it is. And um, so one of them, like, was how to understand prophecy in the Old Testament. Another was uh, whether the hell is a literal place of burning and suffering. Another one was seven-day creationism in Genesis 1. Those are three of the examples. So I was just—it's I, I, not that—again, it's not that I had doubted my traditional beliefs or, or stopped believing them. It's just I was reading some things that I'd never heard of before, and I was wondering I wanted to investigate them more. Long story short— the president of the nonprofit Christian organization I was working for, uh, someone, I don't know who, sent him a link to that, that blog post and said, do you know what one of your employees is writing? <laughs> uh, mm. I was fired that week. So, wow. <laughs> um, wow. yeah, and, and I, I had meetings with him and the board. I said, look, I'm just reading. I'm just investigating. That's not wrong, is it? Uh, to ask questions and to to you know search the scriptures and see if what I believe is actually true and I, yeah I'm using some other resources and books to help me with that anyway long story short they let me go and what was really strange during that time is you know I lost my job um, and for whatever reason I still wonder why and I'm not fully sure but a lot of my Christian friends even a lot of my family members. Uh, when I when they heard when they heard I had lost my job, they all assumed that it was because I had had some moral failure, and hmm. I said no, I hadn't. Um, I can even show you the document. I, I asked the we we parted on good terms, the, the president of the company and myself, and I said, look, uh, I'm going to try to get another job. Can you just write me a letter to explain why you're letting me go? That it wasn't moral failure or anything like that. He goes, well, sure, absolutely, and he gave that to me. I still have it. Um, and he and I were still, you know, relatively friendly. We play on fantasy football together and things like that. Uh, and I beat him every year on fantasy football. <laughs> Makes me feel good. But um, uh, uh, so anyway, he wrote the letter, but all my Christian friends and family, they said, no, you must have had some moral failure. And so until you confess it, until you repent of it, you know, we're going to have to separate from you. And I was like, no, it wasn't a moral failure. I promise. Look, I got a letter. No, even it's still that no one would let you go just for reading and investigating because it sounds so crazy. Uh, wow. Long story short, they all abandoned me. And it just I was like alone. And and I had three daughters. Uh, we had just had our, our youngest daughter, our third one. She was like six months old. Um, you know, my wife, we were, had chosen to homeschool, so she wasn't working. And uh, I was the sole source of income. I was still trying to finish seminary. It was my last year of seminary. And I had no income, no job. And you know what? The, the people who came around us to help us the most at that time were all of our non-Christian neighbors. They brought food over. They looked, helped me get work uh, and jobs. And I thought, no, wait a second. What is going on here? My Christian friends have all abandoned me. My non-Christian friends are acting more like Jesus to me. Wow. than my Christian friends. And that just led me to continue question and, and ask more questions about Christianity and what it means to follow Jesus and what is going on in the church. Um, and I'm still now, this is uh, 12 years later now, still working to uncover and seek answers to some of those questions. I didn't abandon Christianity. I didn't abandon Jesus or anything like that. Uh, I'm closer to Jesus now, and, and um, you know, I love Scripture now just as much, if not more, than I did back then. But 
some of the ways I, I uh, live that out in my own life and my family live that out in our lives are, are different than mm. what many people are used to uh, or what many people expect from Christians. So um, during that process, I did end up becoming a chaplain. My goal in going to seminary was to go back into the pastorate. And when this happened, I actually tried to find several secular jobs, non-ministry-related jobs, and I did have a few in there, but then I ultimately landed uh, back into chaplaincy because mm. that's what all of my experience in education and training had been in as far as, you know, here's a field where I can actually use some of my schooling and education and experience to minister uh, to inmates in a prison setting and uh, teach and train them, uh, you know, about the gospel and what it means to follow Jesus. So. So that's uh, and that's where we're at. I'm still still there, and uh, just past uh, year eleven, I guess, with the uh, as a chaplain. Wow. So Jeremy, you hit two. There was two things that I think um, majorly affected that could have affected you, especially in your walk with Christ, especially in your uh, view on Christianity. Um, the first thing was uh, as an organization, you were rejected for questioning, and also. As a person, you were abandoned by Christian peers. How come you didn't turn away from it? Well, ironically, most of those Christian friends and family members think I did. <laughs> mm. um, so, I mean, I, I indicated there as I was telling you, for example, the way we follow Jesus now looks different. For example, we, we, our family does not, quote-unquote, attend a church. Uh, I don't know how familiar some of your listeners might be, but there's like a movement of lots of Christians today who who call themselves, or they've been labeled as duns. Uh, they're mm. done with church. Uh, and okay. it's not really accurate description because, and I, I would consider myself among them, except that I'm not done with church. I just practice church and live as the church differently uh, than what most people are familiar with. Or, or even know as an option. And so, uh, and you know, I, I still, in, in practicing church as a chaplain, obviously, I mean, I hold church services in the prison for the inmates, part of my job responsibility. So in that sense, I do get traditional style church that way. But um, so a lot of my friends and family do think I've abandoned Christianity. I've turned my back on God. Why? Because I no longer sit in a pew uh, on Sunday morning from 1030 to noon where I sing songs and listen to a sermon. And so therefore, from their point of view, I have abandoned Christianity. But I don't feel that way at all. I feel like I'm closer to Jesus and I'm following him in loving others in my neighborhood and in my community and among my friends and my family. And I'm serving others, our neighbors. We have a neighbor right behind us who is in his 80s and he is literally illiterate. He can't read. Uh, and his wife is a shut-in. She hasn't stepped out of her house in like 40 years. But we're ministering to them, and we're serving them, and we're, uh, he can't drive, so I run errands for him. And I'm just, being the church, following Jesus, yeah, it, it can involve going to a church service on Sunday morning, but that's not everything that's involved. And in fact, I would argue you could sit in a pew faithfully every Sunday for an hour and a half, two hours, three hours, whatever, and not be very good at following Jesus. Mm. So, and I think everybody would agree with me on that. So, 
uh, anyway, um, why didn't I abandon it? I don't know. I think because I, I saw the difference that just because Christians, some of the Christians might not treat me the way I think Jesus would want them to uh, in my time of need or in my time of questioning, that's not necessarily a reflection of Jesus himself. Um, mm -hmm. that, that's just, you know, people being people, that's just, they were giving into their fears and their doubts. Um, and maybe even some of what they themselves are struggling with, but they don't want to face. And so I'm sort of a threat to that, but I was able to, I mean, I'll be honest for a couple of years there, it, I was in a very, very dark place. I went through some severe depression. Um, to the point where I was even suicidal for a while because I felt like everyone had abandoned me, my friends, my family. I thought that even God had abandoned me. It was a really, really dark time for several years in there. Uh, but uh, through it all, I just kept clinging to God and saying, God, I know you're real. I know you're there. Um, I'm not sure why this is happening to me, but I do not believe I have a firm conviction from what I read in Scripture. Scripture was very helpful for me during this time, seeing that lots of men and women of faith in the past have gone through these sorts of times of where they feel like they've been abandoned by everybody. But as you read their stories and you see through how, what God is taking them through, they come out on the other end with a stronger faith and at a place where God has broken them and maybe stripped some things away from them so that he can now bring them to a place of ministry and effectiveness or whatever it is that he wants to do with them and through them and in them. And so I just kept hoping, saying, God, I, I read these stories, I see these things in Scripture, that this is what you did to these people. Uh, I'm going to trust you that that's what you're doing with me. And he's still not done with that process by any means, no. but but that's that's what kept me there. I, I was able to make that distinction between how some Christians behave and, you know, how God behaves and how Jesus behaves, and that the two don't always match up, and that's okay. That's just part of life. That's that's inspiring because we it's easy for us to see a Christian. And say, oh, this is Jesus then. So I don't want anything to do with Jesus anymore. Right. Wow. We have to, we have to, we have to shake that. Cause um, like you're saying, Jesus is way more than the people that we interact with. Yes. Yeah. I had a barber a while back and, you know, he talked about how, oh, I used to be a Christian, but then he was one of these churches where the pastor had gotten caught up with pedophilia. And so because of his pastor's actions and what how he had abused these children, uh, he said, I can no longer be a Christian. I'm, I'm done with God. I'm done with Jesus. And that's the way a lot of people react to those sorts of things. Well, this Christian leader or this Christian neighbor or whatever behaved this way. Therefore, I'm going to reject it all. <laughs> and uh, that's that's not... I had a little conversation with him. I said, well, look, that's horrible. That's evil what that pastor did. I, I'm, I'm proud of you for rejecting him and turning your back on that. And re that's, that's condemning it. Absolutely, we should condemn that sort of behavior. But, you know, that is... God wasn't pleased with him. God didn't tell him to do that. That's not... That's not what God wants or expects from, from, from anybody who bears his name or names the name of Jesus Christ or anything. And so 
you know, it's good that you stopped. If you wanted to stop attending that church, I understand. I'm not going to condemn you for that. But, you know, God's not that way. So let's not give up on God just because you're rejecting a pastor who who behaved in such a horrendous way. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I think that's an important thing to try to impress upon people who have turned their back. I think most people who grew up as Christians or grew up believing in God or whatever, whatever their, you know, faith upbringing was, who have rejected it, haven't rejected it because, you know, of something that happened to them from God himself, but really it's because of Christians behaving badly. Mm. And, and they, they reject it because of these Christians who are just not doing a, a good job of representing the name of Jesus. So it's helpful for us to, you know, affirm that. Good. Yeah, I'm glad you recognize that was not good behavior. But then also maybe call them back to, you know, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's right. Because, because I think that's like deconstruction. That's a deconstruction phase um, people go through in their walk. Um, but it's important that if we're deconstructing, we're trying to deconstruct like scripture or deconstruct maybe theologies or things we've learned, not trying to deconstruct God. Like we can't do that. That's I think that that leads us that leads us astray easily, and that leads us to maybe disliking something that we didn't even understand. Mm-hmm. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That deconstructive process, many people go through it. And it's a journey. It's a, it's a, there's stages to it. And you sort of have to follow it through um, to get to the end of wherever it is it's, it's taking you. But lots of people, they give up too quickly and they just throw their hands up and say, I'm done with the whole thing. That's right. I want to ask you a little bit about, uh, you said this term uh, to, for these people, it's called, they're called duns. Oh, yeah. I've never heard that before, but I think that term describes a lot of people um, I know out here a lot of people in general um because i think today more than ever the system and organization of church is kind of unappealing um in a certain setting the the concept of church and the repetition of it is driving people away um the tradition and the culture and the maybe how conservative church is is driving a lot of people away um and so and I think a lot of people say that they're done with church and they, they end up staying at home or they might change churches, etc. But my question to you is, what's the practical way? Because I do agree. Uh, being a Christian is more than going to church. It has to be. Um, but what are the practical ways for us to experience church or um, experience community with believers or experience community? Because um, I think that could be, that's a, a sole purpose of uh, what churches like that's one of the main I hope like purposes of why churches existed um, us coming together but how do we experience that still if we're done with church but how would we still experience community yeah great question uh, first if people are from, are want to learn more about this there's a great book called church refugees it's by Josh Packard and uh, he did a he's a sociologist and he did an entire study on people why people are done with church but not done with their faith and so it's a great study but um it's it's about the duns which again i'm not i'm not super fond of the term uh but i get it it's fine uh and, and as far as your question then um so he, he, deciding to follow jesus 
outside of you know the sort of the traditional four walls of Christianity, the 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 Sunday morning service sort of focused way that a lot of people are familiar with doing church. It's an awful lot like that deconstruction process that you and I just talked about, because there are stages to it, and uh, this—it's not a quick process. There are there's questions and there's doubts and there's fears involved. There's a period in there, like if you've been attending church for a long time, a particular church, and you decide, you know what, I'm going to try to follow Jesus in a new way. Almost everyone in that church is not going to understand what you're doing. And a large percentage of them will think that you have fallen away, that you've, that you've backslidden, that you've strayed, that you've rejected Christianity, turn your back on God, whatever. Uh, they will start avoiding you in the supermarket and stop inviting you to, the, you know, to come over for dinner. It's just, it's a weird, weird thing, no matter how many times you try to explain. So, so this happens, and, what, and the people who are trying to do this— a lot of them just get scared and they sort of panic because all of their friends and their family are rejecting them. And so they say, fine, fine, I'll just go back. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't, I don't want to condemn or look down upon anybody who finds the Sunday morning, uh, Sunday, the church building sort of way of doing church uh, helpful for them. If you find that helpful, if someone is finding that extremely helpful and encouraging and inspiring and educational for them, by all means, keep doing it. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, but there's lots of people who, like you said, it's just not helpful for them anymore in their walk with God. And I, I, I guess I'm saying there is another way, but just like with deconstructing your faith, it's it takes a process. And I don't know if there's a timeline you can put on it. For me, the process was about seven years uh, where you go through this stage where it's scary and you don't know what to do and all of your friends condemn you and look down upon you and abandon you and you begin to doubt yourself. Is this the right way to go? Also, there's a period in there where you are desperately alone. Uh, and I have found this to be true with almost every single person I've talked to who have go- who's gone on this route, uh, because most of us have most of our friendships were wrapped up in the community down at the church building. And when we mm. stop interacting down at the church building, again, it's this weird thing about Christianity today, where if you stop interacting on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or whatever, or Saturday whenever you whenever those activities are taking place for you, um, lots of those people will no longer want to have anything to do with you. And so now you've lost all your friendships there and your connections. So you will. Lots of people go through a period, a couple years at least, of, of deep loneliness. Like, what am I doing? It feels like they're wasting their time, like nothing's happening in their life. But uh, for me, this is a time, it seems, where God is reshaping the person, reforming them, and helping them to see that uh, he is enough in their life uh, for now. And, mm. and, and as helpful as those buildings and those structures and those services are for lots of people, it takes a while. If someone wants to follow Jesus in a different way, it does take a while to sort this is a negative term, I don't mean it this way, uh, to de- detox from it, detoxify. Um, and again, that's a negative way. But although some church, <laughs> uh, some church settings are toxic, we know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, 
Uh, but anyway, the, the point is, if, if you're if you're patient with that process and you continually during that time seek God's face, He does bring people around you. It's just it's natural. Uh, he 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 br- he brings relationships into your life. And um, my wife and I have discovered that you can't force those. We tried and tried and tried. We're always at the early stages of this process, looking around, trying to like put ourselves out there and 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 you know force the relationships with people. And you just relationships are not one of those things you can force, uh, especially Christian fellowship relationships. It just doesn't work when they're forced. Uh, but over time, God has brought. Um, People around us, friends and neighbors and relatives, and sometimes in the weirdest places, people you meet in the checkout line at the grocery store, uh, and, and you become friends and you hang out and you find that you have things in interest, uh, uh, interests in common, uh, and it becomes a wonderful source of fellowship um, on, a, on a weekly and often sometimes even a daily basis. So, uh, and... and There's not, you know, a 10 steps or five principles that I can give to your listeners because, again, relationships don't always work that way either. So Mm -hmm. all I can tell people is if this is a way you're going to, you want to go, you know, just because that Sunday morning activity, you've been having some questions or it just seems empty to you now, uh, you know, um, be ready for some pain, (laughs) be ready to have your faith challenged, uh, be ready for some loneliness. Uh, but in the long run, God will show himself to you in new ways and you'll learn lots of things about yourself. And you will also discover some close friendships and relationships that, uh, maybe are closer than you ever before imagined were possible. Mm. You know, real deep friendships. Now, Jeremy, I'm kind of wondering for the flip the flip side of this, um, and you might have experienced this when you were pastoring, or uh, maybe not, or or how would you have preferred people reached out to you when you were going through this? Um, from the side of maybe the person who is going to church, who loves, uh, who is encouraged by the church setting, uh, who likes the Saturday morning, Sunday morning routine, and they're fulfilled by that, and that's a key part of their life. How should that person respond to somebody who doesn't feel that way anymore? Like, how should we like interact? Do we, is it like we fight for them? Do we uh, let them go? It's like, what is that? What what, are, what do you think is best for that person? I don't think there's anything wrong with reaching out to them and saying, "Hey, I haven't seen you in the Saturday morning fellowship. I haven't seen you at the Bible study recently. Is everything okay? What's going on?" Absolutely nothing wrong with that because sometimes things are going on and. And they need someone from their circle of friends, their their fellowship, to reach out to them and say, look, I'm here. I noticed you were gone the last couple of weeks. Is everything okay? They need that. Lots of people do. So, so I would encourage, number one, do that. Absolutely do that. Now, if they say something along the lines of sort of what I just said, look, nothing's wrong. Um, just I, I'm having some questions or I'm trying to follow Jesus in a different, more natural, organic, whatever words they use. Different people use different words for this to try to describe it. Uh, I would encourage you to, number one, don't condemn them. Uh, you know, don't judge them. Don't assume that they are abandoning Jesus or or backslidden or becoming a carnal Christian, anything like that. Um 
At the same time, don't abandon them. And that's what is going to be key. If you used to have them over, you know, for a barbecue or whatever on a Thursday, uh, occasionally your kids get together to play or whatever it is, you, you know, you're on the softball team together and look, maintain those friendships. Friendships don't have to be only with people that we fellowship with down at the, at the local church building. And, and so, um, you know, if someone knows someone who's going through this, uh, just because they have stopped attending your fellowship doesn't mean you need to stop being friends with them. Uh, and that is going to really, really help that other person in their journey. And who knows? Um, you know, maybe they will come back to your fellowship and maybe they won't. But either way, you're going to continue to be friends with them. And you will see in this process that, that they still love Jesus and they still love God and they still want to study the Scripture just as much as you do. And that's going mm. to help you see, okay, yeah, this person hasn't abandoned Jesus, isn't backslidden. They, they just are seeking to follow Jesus in a different way, and that's okay. Yeah, well, actually, something that clicked in my mind when you were just saying that is that— um, we shouldn't be so scared when someone chooses to do something like this because they're genuinely making a choice for Jesus. Right. Like, it doesn't seem like it because it's against maybe our tradition or culture, but instead of just going with the flow and they're actually making a choice and they're trying to choose Jesus, and that's a positive thing. Absolutely. You will find if you have a conversation with almost any one of these people, they that's exactly what they will say. They look... Look, I, some of my closest friends, even still to this day, are from the church that I pastored in Montana, and they all still go, and, and we are close friends with them. Um, and um, the, I'm not even sure what point I was going to make with that. Um, but it's because we've been able to, to stay in contact. And, and, and every person, though, who has, who has sort of become a quote-unquote done, that's exactly what they will say, just what you said. They will feel, they will say something along the lines of, I love the church, I love the people who was there, but I really felt that Jesus was leading me in this different direction. And so, so it's almost as if Jesus led them out of one form of church so that they could practice church, be the church, do the church, do church in a different way. And uh, so that's exactly what you were saying. Uh, and that is what most people, they will express something along those lines. They are not no longer following Jesus. They are still trying to follow Jesus. And this is where he has led them. Yeah. So, and a lot yeah. of times what they will find them doing, and this has been true in my own life, is the time and energy that they did spend attending the church or going to Bible studies or involved in church activities they now find that they are using that time to minister and serve and love other people in their community. Um, and that, you know, that looks like Jesus. That, that's what Jesus is doing. So, um, and so this is sometimes, you know, people have very limited amounts of time. And so sometimes I think Jesus is saying, okay, look, you, you've learned enough now uh, for the time being from Scripture. Let's go put some of this into practice. Uh, let, let's go apply some of this. Um, we, we, at this point, you don't need another Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, before you go back to the Bible study, let, let's go live it out a little bit in the community. And so people, sometimes Jesus is leading people that way, and, and we need to be open to that. Wow. 
Um, in closing, Jeremy, again, I'd just like to thank you personally for your time and sharing your story. And I'd love to have you back on uh, just to share, especially some of the theological discoveries you've made. Um, if somebody is listening right now, Jeremy, who uh, is struggling with questioning their beliefs and questioning the doctrine that they've learned, but they don't feel safe to share it in their community, what would you tell them? Oh, wow. Uh, if they don't feel safe to share their questions and doubts in their community, I would encourage them not to. <laughs> uh, probably there's a reason for that. And um, it's very likely that if they share those questions and doubts in their community, they will get condemned or judged or maybe even, you know, quote unquote, excommunicated, cast out. And, and I've, I, I get emails and Facebook messages almost weekly from people where that has happened to them, even from elders and pastors uh, who lose their jobs as a result of questions and doubts. Um, now, if you're okay with that, if you're okay with, with, with being told you can't ever come back here again, then okay, fine, raise it. But a lot of times when people raise questions and doubts in their community where those questions and doubts are not accepted, sometimes it's just, you know, you're ruffling feathers, you're rocking the boat in a place that it's just not welcome. But here was what I would say. Don't stop questioning and don't stop doubting. Don't stop reading. Don't stop researching. You can do this. And the beautiful thing about the internet, you and I get to talk because of the miracle of the internet, uh, but people can read and research and find other groups, Facebook groups, websites, podcasts, uh, all sorts of resources. Now, you do have to be careful because <laughs> there's lots of bad stuff out there, too. Uh, you know, just horrible teaching sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, you know, you have to be a little discerning. Uh, but uh, you can do a lot of this research and question, and you can find other people who are asking similar questions online. So I would encourage people to go that route. And who knows, you might end up finding that some of those people you connect with online live right in your own community. That's one of the things I found here. There's people right here. I live in a dinky, tiny town here in Oregon. And um, when we moved here, I found three or four people uh, through a Facebook group. We live right here in town, and we were all asking the same questions. So we've been able to meet down at a local coffee shop. And it's just, it goes back to what that thing I said. Uh, God just sort of creates these relationships and, and, and brings them into your life even when you're not actually looking for them. So that's what I would encourage people to do. You don't need to rock the boat or ruffle the feathers down at your local community, your local fellowship, your church. Uh, but that doesn't mean you should stop asking the questions. Keep asking, keep studying, keep reading, um, and, and doing research online even uh, to, to find the answers uh, that you're looking for.